This is a talk by Joel titled, Listening to the Stones, talk number four, Emptiness of Self, recorded October 2011 at the Cloud Mountain Retreat Center in Castle Rock, Washington. Yes. I have a quick anecdote about the encounter I had with the repairman. I came up with this little girl to double check, and I saw the ladder there, and I thought, uh-oh, you might be interfering. So I came in, and I said, in a whisper, um... I just want to check with you, we're going to be doing Tai Chi, but I don't want your fear with your job, because that's a priority. And he looked at me, he goes, why are we whispering? His eyeballs practically came out of his head. He said, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> no human being can do that. <laughs> We are taking instructions. <laughs> 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 the ambulance is going to be lined up out there. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So. This morning, we said that the first distinction is between subject and object, self and world, I and other, and that this is the foundation of all the distinctions and the dualities that make up our delusion. Uh, Let me be more precise. It's the reification of this distinction that is the foundation for the reification of all the other distinctions and boundaries that make up our delusion. So this means that our, actually our whole delusion is based on a fundamental duality between subject and object. So this morning we decided, well, we're going to go investigate this. Is there, uh, to begin with, any objects out there? Any inherently existing objects, independently existing objects? And we, first of all, uh, investigated our teacher, our Guru Stone, and we did not find any stone in there. We found appearances, but we did not find any continuously, inherently existing stone. So uh, then the assignment was to go wander around and see if uh, you could find any other objects out there. Did anybody find any, by the way? No. Okay, good. Well... Now we're going to look on the other side of this divide and see if we can uh, find that self, that I, that subject, that observer that's supposedly experiencing all this. So what the mystics say is, of all traditions, there is no inherently existing self. Here's the Hindu Shankara. The appearance of an individual self is caused by the delusion of our understanding and has no reality. By its very nature, this appearance is unreal. When our delusion has been removed, it ceases to exist. So he's saying that this idea of a self or this sense of a self is a delusion. It doesn't really exist. Here's the Buddhist Lama Yeshe. We and all other phenomena, without exception, are empty of even the smallest atom of self-existence. 
So all other phenomena we were looking at this morning, but we too, as well as all the phenomena out there, supposedly out there. Here's the Christian mystic Catherine of Siena. She says, In self-knowledge thou wilt humble thyself, seeing that in thyself thou dost not even exist. According to the Christian mystics, only God exists. So if only God exists, well, there are no stones apart from God and there are no individuals apart from God. And the great Sufi Ibn Arabi says, Know that you are an imagination, as is all that you regard as other than yourself an imagination. So this is what we talked about this morning, that these distinctions, these boundaries are created by imagination. So the Big Dipper is an imagination. There is no Big Dipper in the sky. Things appear, but there's no Big Dipper there. That's an imagination projected onto appearances. Now, most people find this uh, incredible. I'm sure the repairman would have found it incredible. (laughs) And, you know, because this is our common experience, or maybe I should say pseudo-experience, seeming experience. And since the time we were little kids, we've walked around with some sense of self. Occasionally, that sense of self breaks down for various reasons. Sometimes it breaks down when we are ecstatic over something. We throw ourselves into some activity and we we lose a sense of self. Sometimes uh, throwing yourself into a sport will do that for you. Any kind of creative activity actually can produce that. Sometimes we can lose that sense of self and it's terrifying. So it's not always pleasant. Especially uh, people who have taken psychedelic drugs, that can be one of the nightmare trips on a psychedelic drug. If you are interested, you can read Tom Kurtzka's stories about that on our website under accounts of awakening when he was a teenager he took some acid or something and he had this experience of no self and it really really terrified him but he also recognized that there was a truth in that and that's what got him on a spiritual path and then his whole spiritual path was trying to overcome that fear of no self to come back to that place and see what was there and not have the fear be the obstacle so These things happen spontaneously to us, but generally speaking, we really have this very solid sense of self. So what the mystics say is, well, you think you are a self, some sort of self there, go find it. Go look for it. See if you can find it. We looked and we didn't find it. But you think you are, go ahead and do that. So that's what we're going to do this afternoon. We're going to go look and see if we can find this self that we think we are. So the first thing we have to do is determine what it is we think we are. And it's very interesting, and there's a clue here, that this is different for different cultures. For instance, some of you, I think, have probably read some Hindu material, and you will find this common idea that the self is made up of these five sheaths. And the idea is that at the, at the core of the self is the true self, the Atman, but it's covered by five coverings, sheaths or coverings, like, a, like an onion. And so the path of inquiry anyway is to peel away these various coverings so you get down to the core. But now the five coverings are 
translated into English, something like the body. But then the next one is subtle energy. It doesn't have a direct translation into English. We don't have a word for it. Uh, maybe a hundred years ago we would have talked about the vital force or something like that. And then emotions or something equivalent to emotions and then thoughts and then bliss, oddly enough, is the fifth and final covering. This, of course, is not the innate bliss of consciousness itself, but experiences of bliss. And the idea is that sometimes on a spiritual path we start having this experiential kind of bliss and it becomes a covering because our practice then gets orientated towards reproducing this experiential bliss and that's impermanent like everything else. And so we sort of become, you could say, spiritual hedonists. Instead of pursuing worldly pleasures, we're pursuing these spiritual pleasures, so it becomes a covering. Among the Native Americans, at least among the Lakota, they have an idea that human beings have two selves or two souls. And uh, I read this interview with some of the Native Americans, this was done in the 20s or 30s, who had been born before the reservations and all that, and so who had grown up with the Native culture, and they were mystified by white people because here the white people came along and they do insane things, like they just dig up the hills to get this gold uh, stone kind of stuff that was worthless. I mean, you can't eat it. You can't make arrowheads out of it. It's too soft. It's just worthless. And they would just ravage hillsides, tearing up everything to get at this stuff. So it was really puzzling to them, you know, what was wrong with white people. And then they figured it out. White people only have one soul. Lakotas have two souls, see. So they have balance and harmony. We're wacko, you know. So there are these differences in different cultures, which gives you a clue that maybe this self that we so take for granted and think is there, maybe it's not quite that absolute. Maybe it is a relative to the culture you grew up in. In any case, in our culture, most people identify themselves with the body, thoughts, emotions, and some agent of self-will. If you grew up in a Christian uh, background, you might think of it as a soul. If you grew up in a more secular background, you might think of it as ego. But some center, some agent of self-will. Somebody in here controlling this body and stuff. So these are usually the things that Westerners identify as constituents of the self. Does anybody have something else that they think of as themselves? Well, if you do, and if something occurs to you, you can just adjust this inquiry that we're going to do to include that, whatever it is. Let's call it X. Well, you think you're X, then go look for X, because the principle of the inquiry is the same no matter what you think you are. Well, let's go take a look at it and see. So that's what we're going to be doing. So whatever your your uh, sense of self is, you can apply this inquiry to. But for our purposes here, we are going to be looking at the body, we're going to be looking at emotions, we're going to be looking at thoughts, and we're going to be looking at this agent of self-will. So, we will do this again with our stabilized attention in a nice, spacious awareness state. And I will ask you, first of all, to put your guru stone out there, someplace where it's visible. You won't have to pick it up or anything this time, so you can put it at any comfortable distance.
looks like a go game. <laughs> well, look at everybody's moving themselves up a little bit. Oh, are you ahead of me? Okay, the competition's already right there, inherent in the placement of, of the stone. Unbelievable. Okay. So again, I'm going to guide you first through the various fields of consciousness till we arrive at spacious awareness, and then I'm going to ask you to look at various phenomena that you may think constitutes yourself, and we'll see if we can find any self there. All right, here we go. So we begin with concentration to stabilize our attention. Now let attention expand to include the field of bodily sensations. And notice that these sensations are impermanent.
Now allow attention to expand to include the sound field. And notice that all sounds are impermanent. attention to expand to include any tastes or smells that may be present. And notice that they are impermanent. attention to expand to include the sight field. And blink your eyes several times and notice that all the phenomena in the sight field are impermanent. Now expand attention to include the mental field. And notice that all the thoughts and images and memories that arise in the mental field are impermanent. attention to expand into the total field of consciousness awareness. And resting in this vast spacious awareness, notice that all the phenomena and all the fields arise and pass. They are all impermanent.
Now look at your Guru's stone. And the question we are going to ask is, who is this you that is looking at it? And let's begin by asking, are you a body? Now look at whatever body parts you can see from your current posture. Notice that what you see are visual phenomena. Close your eyes and notice that the visual phenomena vanish. Open and close your eyes several times and notice that the visual phenomena that constitute your body are impermanent. They come and they go. Now listen to any sounds that may be emanating from your body. Growling stomach, cough, wheezing. If no sounds are naturally occurring, swallow a few times and listen to the sounds. Notice that whatever sounds your body makes are impermanent. They come and they go. Now focus attention on your bodily sensations. First in your head. sensations in your chest, your back, stomach, 
Parks. Pies. Calves. And your feet. Notice that all these bodily sensations come and they go. And they're impermanent. Can you find any body apart from these sights, sounds, and sensations? Isn't body, like the word stone, just a convenient name for a collection of impermanent phenomena that are constantly coming and going? Now ask yourself, do you, the observer of these sights, sounds, and sensations, come and go? If not, you cannot be any of the phenomena called body. Now close your eyes and focus attention in the mental field. Watch various thoughts as they arise and pass. And ask yourself, are you your thoughts? If so, which thoughts? For instance, are you your memories? 
Remember some scene from your childhood. Remember it as vividly as possible. self-liberate. Remember what you had for breakfast this morning. self-liberate. Notice that memories are impermanent. They come and they go. Now do you, the observer of these memories, come and go? not, you cannot be these memories. Are you your thoughts about the future? Think about your plans for Thanksgiving. Bring them to mind as vividly as possible. self-liberate. Think about some place you'd like to visit in the future. Imagine what it would be like as vividly as possible. images self-liberate. Notice that thoughts about the future come and go. But do you, the one who observes them, come and go?
not, you cannot be those thoughts about the future. Now relax for a few moments and just observe the spontaneously arising thoughts in the present. Notice that all these thoughts are constantly coming and going. Like trying to write a long sentence on water. It dissolves almost as fast as you can write it. observer of these thoughts come and go. Are you arising and dissolving? If not, you cannot be any of these thoughts. Perhaps you are your emotions. Let's investigate. Close your eyes and recall some situation that made you sad. Try to feel that sadness as vividly as possible.
Now let the memory of that situation self-liberate along with the emotion of sadness that it aroused. Recall some situation that made you glad. And try to feel that gladness, that joy as vividly as possible. the memory of that situation to self-liberate along with the gladness that aroused. So which of these emotions are you? Notice all emotions are impermanent. They come and they go. But you, the one who observes them come and go, not, you cannot be any emotion. Now open your eyes. you are the one who decides what to do, the one who wills action. Let's test this. I'm going to give you a series of commands. I want you to exercise your self-will by choosing either to obey the command or not to obey the command. And see if you can find some self who makes these choices. So here we go. 
raise your right hand. Lower your right hand. Raise your left hand. Lower your left hand. Raise both hands. Lower both hands. Clap your hands. Did you find anyone, any self making those decisions? So far, then, we can conclude that everything you think you are, bodily sensations, thoughts, emotions, volitions, they're all impermanent phenomena, coming and going. But you, the observer, do not come and go. Therefore, you cannot be any of these phenomena. So the question then is, who is the observer of the phenomena? Is it a soul, a spirit, some kind of ego? So let's take a look. If you think you are a soul or spirit or ego, ask yourself, what attributes does this have? In other words, what size is it? What color is it? What does it taste like? How much does it weigh? Are there any other attributes you perceive? If you do perceive some attributes of a spirit, soul, or ego, Ask yourself, who is the one that is perceiving them?
So based on that inquiry, who are you? Ellie? I feel like I was controlling my, my will. I'm just I'm sorry, what? I had quite a, still had quite a feeling that you know, I was controlling my decisions. My ego was controlling what I decided. I'm not surprised since you've had that feeling probably all your life. Yes. But when you actually looked, did you actually find any entity that was making these decisions? Decisions are made. That's not what's that question here. But who made the decision? Did you find some entity? You have a chance to look again. No, we keep coming back to this inquiry because it's counter to everything that we've experienced in our lives, basically. So we don't expect necessarily to have some big breakthrough the first time we do it. Yes? Well, um, I didn't get the answer to who am I, but I had this thought or realization that she, or the observer, is the same one that's been around since I'm a little girl. And she, or whatever, awareness, is always there. And it doesn't matter what happens, good, bad, otherwise, she's going nowhere. And she always can be found. Right. There's nothing to distinguish the awareness of a five-year-old from the awareness of a forty-five-year-old. I mean, just the awareness. There's things to distinguish the body from a five-year-old and the body of a forty-five-year-old, and perhaps the emotions in terms of their maturity and all kinds of things, their thoughts, the different kinds of thoughts, but the, just the naked awareness. There's nothing to distinguish it. We can't pick something and say, well, it was sort of a yellow, nice yellow color when I was five, and now it's kind of dulled, you know. Down. I think I'm grasping a little, I, it gives me great comfort to think, oh, she's, it's always there, whatever it or she Well, that's what we want to find out. So... <laughs> We don't want to just rest on that comfortable thought. Who else uh, found any self or didn't find any self? It was nice when I sort of didn't see a decider. There was a little sense of relief with that. Relief? Yeah. Well, why was there relief? I don't know. This is what sort of popped in there. It's like, and I'm not sure why. This was a, I couldn't find one. Well, remember we talked earlier about what generates karma. Volitional action generates karma. So there is a relief. There's in fact a huge relief to find out there is no such thing as volitional action. No one is doing any of this. It's a fantastic relief. You've been worried all your life about whether you're doing it right or wrong. And and there's no one doing it. You know, the Doug Furs out there, they don't worry about are they growing right or wrong. They're just a manifestation of the Tao. They're just an expression of the divine. They don't say, oh, gee, I don't know, maybe I should grow a little bit more to the left or a little bit more to the right. Am I doing this right? And they don't have other trees around and telling them, you're doing this wrong, you're not growing right. 
So it's a, it is a fantastic relief. So you're getting a taste of that. Yes, ma'am. Would you say that um, trees have consciousness but not volitional action? Uh, I would say that consciousness has trees. Uh, I never saw any consciousness in a tree. I never saw any consciousness in a person. I think consciousness has people, too. Uh, I never saw any consciousness in anybody, and I actually never heard of that. And in fact, I've been reading lately a lot of books about uh, uh, you know, neuroscience and stuff and the latest experiments they've done and brain surgeons and stuff like that. And you know, they cut people's brains open now and they do all kinds of things and they probe them and send electrical impulses in and create thoughts and this and that. But not one of them has ever reported seeing any consciousness in a brain. Not one. It's amazing. Of all the brains they cut open... But people have seen a lot of brains in consciousness now, you know. Well, I mean, all these neurosurgeons, that's what they do all day. They see lots and lots of brains appear in consciousness, but consciousness has never appeared in a brain. It's amazing. Mel? Oh, I was just going to say, oh, just to go in there now, of, uh, I can just see my, my ego and conditioning and uh, belief systems to rising up depending on what the question was and uh, just playing with that, watching it. Very good. When you can get to the point of mindfulness about how that works, that's a big step forward. See, most people aren't aware of their belief systems and stuff arising in response to situations or questions or whatever. I mean, they do arise, but they don't have that distance to say, oh, I can see what's going on here. Here are my beliefs responding. You know, a button's been pushed, and here's my response. So this is precisely why we want to cultivate mindfulness, mindfulness about our own inner processes. And you can take that now, and you can use that in your everyday life, in your relationships with your family, with your friends, with colleagues at work and all that. You can do the exact same thing. If you can see it here, you can see it there. And it makes all the difference in the world in terms of your relationships. That's how our relationships truly begin to transform because we're no longer slaves to our conditioning and our beliefs and stuff and we have some distance and there's room for something spontaneous to happen rather than a conditioned reaction that just is automatic, you know? So I can say, oh, I see. I see, I, I, I'm feeling negative about this. You know, somebody said something, I'm getting angry, but I can see all that happening. I can see why. Well, but do I have to actually act that way? Do I have to respond out of that conditioning? And to not respond out of the conditioning doesn't mean that we know how we're going to respond. There is no decider. But it means there's room for something spontaneous, something fresh, something authentic to happen. So it's very important just to notice that. We might feel uncomfortable at first, but it, it, it is the beginning of freedom. Right there. That's the gate to freedom. Okay. So, the rest of the afternoon, we're going to pursue this inquiry into who we truly are. And you can be very creative about this. You can use your imagination. You can investigate any roles that you think you are. If you think that you're a mother, that that defines you, use your imagination. Remember what it's like to be a mother, all the things you do as a mother, and see if you can find who it is that's doing all these things. If you are familiar with this practice and have done it before, then you can just use the shortcut version, which is Ramana Maharshi's practice of self-inquiry, 
And you can just sit there in spacious awareness and whatever arises, you can simply ask the question, to whom is this occurring? To whom is this occurring? And if an answer comes like, well, to me, of course, then you can say, well, who am I? And whatever is arising and whatever seems to be you, then you can step back from that and say, well, who's observing this? And so you're always taking the attention from the object and turning it back on to the subject, trying to find who that subject is or what that subject is. So you explore it in your experience, in your context. Who do you think you are and see if that's true, if you really are that. Or if what you think you are isn't just more impermanent phenomena arising and passing away. And yet, something is aware, or somewhat is aware, as Dr. Wolf used to say, trying to stay away from words like thing, which are objects. A somewhat is aware, or there is awareness here. What is that? Can awareness turn back to awareness? Can awareness become aware of awareness? Not an image of awareness, not an idea of awareness, not a concept of awareness, but awareness itself. And if it can, there's the opportunity for awakening. And that's the essence of this practice of self-inquiry. So, are we ready? No. No. What? Uh, a question before we start here. Does this who am I question have to be asked in the form of a discursive thought? No. Or can it be asked on a more subtle level? For me, the discursive process is a distraction. It can be asked in a more subtle level as long as you are truly asking it. Because it's very easy in this kind of inquiry, in this kind of practice, to become lazy about it. You're sitting there and, you know, it's kind of boring after a while just to say, well, to whom is this occurring? And not getting any answers. And, you know, and then you stop asking the question and you start to drift and you drift into some daydream or some philosophy about how the self evolved and, you know, whatnot. So just be sure that you are alert, bright, and doing the practice. It does not have to be a discursive thought. But the inquiry, nevertheless, has to go on and has to be a true inquiry. Okay. So, let's get into our posture. And here we go. You've now reached the end of this talk. 
Continue practicing at least once a day until you are thoroughly familiar with these instructions. Then continue with the next talk for more teachings and instructions.